0: They were focusing on careers and work, and you know a lot of people are very passionate about building a careers and stuff like that. So that was nothing. I was never passionate about. I mean, for me, especially again coming from France, you just go to work for it is just a paycheck to make some money, and then um, you use that to to do what you want. But it's never like you go to work to build to build a career. That was never interesting for me.
1: Welcome back to the next episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 186. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world?
2: Good. We just came back from Costco and as I walked in, this is funny because we were just talking about this right before, I saw they were selling AirPods right at the front of the store. They're $129 for the old ones. I, th- I can't remember. What are they for the new ones? Like 180, 169, or 170 something or like something like that. And I, I like turned to my wife and I'm like, man, that was like some of the best hundred bucks I could have spent is is that pair of, of AirPods when I first got a pair a couple of years ago. And then you happened to send me this interesting blurb about AirPods. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I, that was funny. I mean, that, just that business unit alone in Apple's organization is, you know, AirPod alone, it's over $10 billion in revenue in climbing. And just to put that in perspective, I mean, that's more revenue than Twitter, Snapchat, yeah, you know, adobe several large companies that we use products for every single day and just that part of apple's business is that big it's just mind-blowing
2: yeah right like on one chart we saw it, the airpods are making more money than uber on the other one uber was just slightly ahead of AirPods, so it seems like they're pretty close at least on a couple sites that we checked but i mean <laughs> yeah for one little pair of headphones it is pretty amazing
1: yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they definitely have a, a massive part of the market share and gets into another discussion, maybe for another time of, you know, what does role of big tech and especially the the, the FANG companies and how they put footholds in in our lives. And I mean, it's almost like you can't deal without any of their products. And is that good or bad? Or what does that have? long-term effects for, you know, our country and our world and whatnot. But interesting thing about just that little piece of business for Apple is that large, but, and it continues to grow. I mean, Apple continues to grow and continues to grow their stock price. So I'm sure it'll keep going and they keep coming out with innovative products. So this week's episode, we have Mr. Nomad. He is French. He's been traveling full-time since 2018. He's embraced a slow travel lifestyle with his wife. His net worth is $1.2 with about 65% in equities and 20% in real estate and the rest in cash. Super good episode with him about how he was able to essentially leave and travel and and do the things that he really wanted to do on what some might consider you know, a lower net worth to be able to cash out and, and do that. You know, we've had a few on the guests on the show that have expressed interest in retiring, but what is that number for them? And so we talked to Mr. Nobat about how he felt comfortable, you know, around just over a million dollars to, to be able to do that. Last week we had Adam, 29 years old from Poland, but lives in Canada now. He's, he worked in sales and has a net worth of about $400,000. And, you know, like we've had several, uh, on our show they're not quite there but well on their way it'll be fun to track Adam uh, over the years as his net worth continues to grow. You know Clark we added a new element to our website with the speak pipe and we got a, a great one in. And so let's play that from uh, Mike today. Hey your guys show is just life changing. I just wanted to take a quick second to let you know that it has put me on a path. I didn't know that I could get on. For years I was, you know, in the army throwing some money at the TSP some other IRAs, and it just never felt like I was was getting anywhere. I just saw this retirement coming, but 20, 30 years away. And just listening to your show has given me the confidence to frankly start investing in some real estate. And in the last 18 months, like it's just completely transformed my life. I've always been diligent at saving, throwing money at the market, but now I have five houses in Oklahoma and more to come. And it, I've gone from like thinking I'll retire when I'm 65 to thinking maybe this is doable by the time I'm 45. So just want to say hats off. This is great. I love listening to the show. Appreciate that from Mike. If you want to leave a comment or a question for a millionaire, go to Ask a Millionaire tab. You can go ahead and engage online with our millionaires. Ask them questions about things they might have shared on the podcast or maybe you have questions that follow up from from our earlier episodes. Appreciate those that have already done so. We definitely hope to to kind of create a little bit more of an environment where you can interact. We've had lots of requests for that. Definitely have some ad- additional things coming out with our website and and the Millionaires Unveiled brand. And we're super excited for those we'll unveil in the future. But let's talk real estate real quick. Real estate's super hot right now. If you've got a deal, send us an email, millionarsunveiled at gmail.com. We'll definitely pay a finder's fee for that. Also, if you're interested in investing, we're always looking for new investors as well. Send us an email and, and we'll get on the phone, kind of walk you through the process. I think that's it for housekeeping. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Mr. Nomad. Mr. Nomad, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, so first of all, thanks guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Um, so I am, I am French and, uh, my wife, which is American and I have been, uh, are currently in our thirties. Um, and we have become full-time travelers since 2018. We've, uh, before that, we've been, uh, working and we've met in uh, Silicon Valley in California, in San Francisco, uh, where I've been spending the last 10 years of my life. Yeah. And then through, um, specific um, through, sorry, for our love, for um, our common love for um, travel, we decided that uh, it was time for us to, yeah, travel, uh, start exploring the world, um, and enjoy, embrace a uh, slow trap. Well,
1: wow, that's pretty remarkable, and I know I'm, we're excited to get into your story and what you're up to now, but before we do, what is your net worth today?
0: So right now, it's 1.2 million. And how is that broken up? So it is uh, broken up in three main categories. So there is um, our portfolio, which is about uh, 65%, um, investments, uh, real estate, which is about less than 20%, 17%, and the cash, which is the rest.
1: And and the money that's invested, is that in bonds, mutual funds, stocks? Is that in retirement accounts or is that all taxable accounts? How's that divided up?
0: Yeah. So it's mostly um, 80% 80 taxable, 20% non-taxable. And then, um, it's mostly, uh, 70, 70% stocks, 30% bonds. Um, and, uh, we like the, uh, low cost index funds approach. So that's what we're investing into. Um, mostly the uh, VTI and, uh, VXUX. Okay. And,
1: and the real estate, is that paid for real estate in the United States? Yes. Okay. And so you just collect rental income on a, on a paid for property or two or is it just one or? Uh, two. Two, okay, cool, and those are paid off, no mortgage or anything. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. So let's back up here just a little bit. You're you're at one point two. You're in your late thirties. You've essentially retired, traveling the world on you know living a, a minimalistic lifestyle and and a lifestyle by design. At what point did you start this journey in your mind, saying that hey? At some point in my thirties or late thirties or whatever it was, I'm gonna walk away from full time work and, and live on the, the nest egg that I built and start traveling.
0: Yeah, so, so that's that's a, a good question. So I think it all started when I met uh, my wife. Um, so that was back in 2016, and that's where, um, I, as I said, I, I grew up in France. And for me, having you know five six weeks of vacation each year, uh, travel is kind of part of your life. Uh, but moving to the U.S., that was uh, very, very different. Uh, once I met my, la- my wife, though, which is also from California and also was, um, really into travel and that, that travel bug, that's where we really realized, oh, let's try to, to travel. Um, and our initial plan was just to travel for a year and, um, just take a break from work. Uh, but as we started looking into the specifics, the tactics and uh, how can, how much money do we need to save and all of that, that's where we're starting to stumble into that, uh, concept or a movement which is called the financial independence retire early. Um, and we've um we've met people that were basically traveling on a indefinitely. So um that from there we starting digging into the rabbit hole about the movement and the tactics, uh how to invest your money and and, and all of that. So
1: so was it her or was it you or both or who's pushing it?
0: It came up Yeah yeah so I think we were I remember we were just going on hike on the weekends and we were discussing that. Uh what do we want to do long term? You know, we at the time we were still uh we were uh still in pretty late in the dating stage, but it where yeah we met each other maybe just a few months ago and so we were discussing those conversations about long term plans. Um so it's I think it came from both sides. Uh, actually she was asking me, oh, we should just wait for a year and I was the one pushing, oh why not do we do it for two or three years because I already knew that you can travel the world uh for a long time. Uh, for less than what people in the U.S. think travel costs uh, coming from a, a European mindset.
1: Yeah, so you bring up a, a good point there. Do you want to talk a little bit about that mindset of, of you know, how the Europeans look at travel versus maybe you know a majority of us in the United States look at travel?
0: To start with the income in Europe, and I'm just going to take France, um, it's much, much lower than the average income in the U.S., and especially coming from California. So you have less money to do things and so then, um, and you have also more times to do things as well. So that gives you an interesting um, advantages in the sense that you can uh, do things on the much longer term, which will ultimately cost less. So instead of booking a two weeks vacation and trying to check every site in two weeks, you can take, we are used to take one to two months vacation in the summer when uh, you have plenty of times to take advantage of, long-term accommodations and don't have to rush to do things out. So I think that was definitely one big difference I've noticed between France and the U.S. Um, you have more time for your vacation and because you have less money, uh, you you have to spend less, which usually trying to do more things by yourself versus try to outsourcing, you know, instead of uh, going on um all-inclusive resort, you will probably just go for places and maybe uh, go out for dinner or just cook some of your food yourself. So you're a bit more of a frugal mindset in in that way.
2: Yeah. Let me just jump back here. I want to keep going with that point, but let me just jump back here to your allocation. How much did you say you have
0: in the stock market? Sixty five percent. So it's about uh, eight hundred
2: thousand. Eight hundred k. Okay. And is that split between retirement and and non retirement accounts? Correct. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So now just going back in, to your story here, you, you guys met, you said you met, started dating in 2016. You started full time travel in 2018. But I mean, how many years did you work full time? I assumed you work in a corporate job full time. How many years before um, yeah. you started so, traveling?
0: <clears throat> so I, I started my first job in 2005 back in France, moved to the US in 2018 and give my notice for my last job in, uh, Summer of 2018. So that's about 13 years in a, with a, as a regular, regular job.
2: Okay. And, and did your wife work about 13 years as well?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same.
2: Okay. And when you come, when you, uh, met up and started dating, you, had you both been saving pretty well and and investing?
0: uh, Yeah. So me coming from, so back in France, I think I was used to, um, Basically, when I moved to the US, just by moving uh, to the US, um, I think my salary basically increased by threefold. But I tried to keep my uh, cost of living the same uh, because I was used to, you know, price in France. Um, so, um, so that's already let me save a lot. I think from the get-go, I was already saving fifty percent um, by just trying to live by just having the essential and really, really being. Contr- conscious about do i really need that new stuff before making purchases and my wife was um i think she was pretty much the same as well she's um i don't know if you know because she's uh, her parents are chinese uh even and she she was born in the us i don't know if this is the where she got that frugal mentality but she was also not a a big spender uh so we are both both savings uh yeah from the get-go
2: so we usually ask this at the end, but I think it, it fills in right now. What, what is your range of, uh, salary or household income through your working life here? What would, I mean, you said the salary with 3 x right? When you moved to the States. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: um, yes. Yeah, so I think in, in Europe, the salaries are pretty low. So I think $30,000. That's kind of an entry salary. Uh, sorry. When I say Europe, uh, I think I'm in France. So I think I started with probably 30, 30,000 euros uh at the time and I think uh when I moved to the US that jumped to one hundred thousand USD. Um so that's kind of where the three X came from. And I think then when I left this more than doubled. Um I was in the low three hundred thousand in my last job um through you know career advancements and uh negotiation and all of that. Um oh, wow. So yeah, so there was a big jump there. But only the last my uh, I think only the last two years where that's where I was making the most of the money in
2: in the U.S. And, and did your wife have a, a good salary as well?
0: Uh, lower than mine, but still uh we are both working in tech. So as you know, tech jobs in the Bay Area are paying very well, even though the cost of living is very high and it's very easy to, you know, to get into lifestyle inflation and not really save much. It was, we were making good money. Um So hence, hence our 50% savings rates at the beginning, I think at the end, we were close to 80%. Uh, because again we pretty much keep our same same spending but as the as our salary increase and we didn't really purchase uh cars or um you know we were renting during that time with a rent that didn't really move much over the past 10 years we stay in the same i stay actually in the same apartment since i've moved to san francisco i've just changing unit within the apartment building for um i a bit nicer place but um San Francisco has a good, uh, is really, um, tenant friendly. So the rent are pretty constrained, uh, in some type of building. So I was able to, yeah, keep the same rent as well. So, uh, that has oh, nice. been increasing our saving rates, um, over time.
2: Yeah. So you guys, you guys meet in 2016. What was your net worth combined?
0: So I think we're starting putting things together, uh, 2017, but, um, I think it was pretty close to where things were. I would say maybe. Um, I don't have the right number, but I would say probably eight to 900 at that time. Um, Okay, so you were
2: just, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, just rough numbers. So you were just shy of of a million and you've grown at about 400 or so since then. Uh,
0: I think uh, the last two years, yeah, the growth of the last two years, which was about uh, 200,000, that was mostly the return of the stock market.
2: Yeah, so then you, you start dating, you start talking about this, you find your common love for travel a little bit, and then you say, okay, you know, let's start, let's travel for a year or so before that, was there a a net worth goal or a passive income goal saying, Hey, if we're going to travel, we think we can spend 30, 40, 50 grand, whatever it was. Was there a certain amount you wanted to get to? Like we're going to hit this year really hard until we start traveling.
0: Yeah. Uh, no. So on my side, I was almost like, I was, I I forgot that dream of travel because, um, a lot of people, I mean, until I've met, um, Mrs nomad I think not a lot of people were focusing on they were focusing on careers and work and you know a lot of people are very passionate about building your careers and stuff like that so that was nothing I was never passionate about I mean for me especially again coming from France you just go to work for it's just a paycheck to make some money and then um, you use that to to do what you want but it's never like you go to work to build to build a career that was never interesting for me But before I met Mrs. Nomad, it was really hard to find someone in the U.S. that was sharing the same values. So the only thing I was doing, it was like I knew that the real estate in San Francisco was really expensive. And I was like, okay, I just need to save because at some point I'm going to meet someone. And that person will likely wants to have a home together and maybe a family and all of that. So that was kind of the focus, like just save a lot because it's really expensive to buy real estate. And then we'll we'll take it from there. That was kind of the goal before meeting Mrs. Nomad.
2: So jumping forward, spoiler alert: you spend about thirty thousand dollars a year. Did you was did you know it was going to be thirty thousand?
0: So we knew it was going to be cheap, um, and we knew people like um, you guys interviewed um, a while back, for instance, um, Christian Bryce from Millionaire Revolution. So those were some of the people that um, we've been following. Uh, that have been embracing a similar nomadic lifestyle, and we knew those guys were spending 40,000 Canadian dollars, which is about 40,000 dollars a year. Um, so we roughly knew that between 30 to 40,000 USD should be what we should aim for, and we also knew that with our current network, we sh- we could generate that much money. But um, you know, until you really pull the trigger and go to those places, uh, you don't really know for sure. Um, it turns out that year one and year two were around 30,000 um u s d
2: so let's jump ahead here what what how much did you have when you retired about one million or one point yeah. one or so one one okay, so then you say, okay, we're gonna go travel for a year right? That was the initial the initial plan
0: well when the initial brainstorming plan we traveled for a year in two thousand sixteen and then um as I was saying earlier, we stumbled into that financial independence concept starting um uh, meeting people on that community, or locally in San Francisco or, uh, through blogs. So like, um, we stumbled about the blog of the Might Scientist, Mr. M- Mr. M- Money Mustache, which obviously is very well known in that area, uh, Jim Collins and others. So we did a lot of research on that topic. And from there, we knew we could do it because of our investment. I so we did also some reallocation. I can talk about our investment before and, uh, before we pulled the trigger and, uh, after we pulled the trigger. Um, because there has been some change there, but we put ourselves in a relatively safe place when we could generate that thirty to 40,000 USD a year and go travel the world. And we knew by that time that it was not going to be for a full year. Like we were both going to quit our jobs and it was going to be our new life moving forward.
2: So how did you, I mean, the question I'm always curious about with people that I guess like retire early, right? and, And quit their jobs to go travel. How do you decide when? Meaning, you were making 300 grand, right? About?
0: Uh, a little less, yeah, at the peak of my career, yeah.
2: And then your wife was was making how much? Two
0: thirds of that, I would, I would say.
2: Two thirds, you said?
0: Yeah. So, in the. So, you
2: guys are at about 500 grand? Correct. Wow. Uh,
0: so, yeah, let's, say, so for, let's did, say 400 to be on the conservative side. But, yeah, still. Okay, uh, okay 400. Yeah.
2: So, did, did part of you say, hey, why don't we just work two more years and we'll save up another couple hundred grand?
0: Um, yeah, so actually, so when I think by sometimes 2017, we did enough research. We look at our numbers. We knew that we have enough to the lifestyle we want. Yeah, we look into that. At the end, it's, we were both ready to move on with our life. And we felt that we have more than enough to live our lifestyle with always having the backup plan of, you know, if something terrible happens, we can always go back to work, uh, and still get the same, you know, those very comfortable careers. Um, so yeah, I think we were just ready and we felt like, uh, we had plenty, um, and even right now, uh, you know, after going through the pandemic and the market fluctuation and all of that, and lo- seeing that we are still using less than what our portfolio can generate and with the, also the large portion of cash that we have in hands, I think we feel that it's enough for us.
2: Yeah. So that's really interesting. So that, so you quit the jobs, you say, okay, we're going to go travel. How did you, how did you know where to go?
0: Um, so, okay. So the first year, I, so we decided, um, July 1st was going to be uh, the day when we are going to start traveling. We, Mrs. Nomad was at the ability to keep her job. So I think she kept working for another six to nine months. So because of oh, that. Wow. Point, yeah. So she has, I mean, maybe back to your previous question. She was, she was the one that, you know, wanted a bit more. She was much more career oriented than I was. So she was like, Oh, I can keep working, you know, because my work was, she was working for that company, which was fully remote. So didn't have any offices uh, in the US. So for her, she could keep traveling and keep her salary, which was based in San Francisco, which was a significant, as you said, you know, it's, it was a nice pay. Uh, so she did that for six, six to nine months. Because of that, we have to stay within the American time zone. So we stay. So we picked basically. Three months in Canada, then four months in Mexico, and sometimes in the U.S. on that first year. After seeing me, you know, enjoying my life and doing all of those things with my free times, you know, moving from a place of going to work to focusing on my passion and the things I was really excited about, she decided after a while to quit. So I think she quit in early 2019. Um, so after that, we are free to starting traveling in different locations. So that's where we moved to Europe and Southeast Asia. And also, uh, as we travel, we, we like to slow travel. Um because we don't want to do that for a year, we want it to be sustainable. So um we like to stay in places at least one month at a time. Uh that give us much more not only it help us spend less and give us much more control of our spending, it's much much more comfortable and less stressful way to travel the world.
2: Wow. So just give us a, a quick summary. How many countries have you guys been to?
0: So it's roughly pretty much twenty, I think twenty countries over the last two years. So not twenty countries, well. Wow. Uh, yeah, not Turn enough places, uh, for, uh, like, you know, 24 months period, just because we mostly move one place per month. Um, and usually, you know, like I said, we did Canada for three, three months. Um, so there is places we will stay uh, more than one month at a time. It depends on the visa situation. I think in the America, the visa are pretty generous. You can stay easily, you know, Mexico six months at a time and, uh, Canada, you can also stay for a longer period of time. But when you move to Asia, then some places you can only stay one month at a time. So, yeah, yeah so that was tr-
2: going to be my next question, is, is how do you decide how long to stay in each location? So you try and just max it out based on visa.
0: Yeah, so we usually do a rough planning per region. Um, so the first year, because of the constraints of Mrs. Nomad, we say, OK, we're going to do, stay in America. Um, we wanted to, yeah, we were interesting about Quebec and wanted to do a trip with our family so it was an easy way for them to meet us. You know, it's kind of in between France and California. So we pick uh, Quebec for three months. So two months between two of us and one month with my parents and uh, brothers and niece and nephews and then we wanted to go to Mexico. So then we say, OK, let's go to Mexico. And then once we get the once we have the location, we pick the countries and then we visit the country, as you said, we look at the visa and then we look at the main spots um, to narrow things down. But um, we usually don't have the city until we get closer to, uh, like maybe three, three to four months before booking our accommodation and stuff.
2: Wow! And and when you were staying, you said in in Canada and in the U.S. and in Mexico, how did you where did you find homes? Did you do like Airbnb or hotels?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's uh, ninety ninety five percent Airbnbs. We like the advantages of uh, long term stay. And uh, we've been able to get really, really good discounts on Airbnbs. I think we usually get 50% discounts from, you know, the regular dairy rate as you get to a monthly rate. And then uh, we usually try to negotiate on top of that. Um, so that has been uh, over much performing much better than hotels. And we also like um, to live like normal life. So for us, we like to have control about the food that we eat. So we, we will cook most of our meals. Um, we might just, you know, go out once or twice a week. So having a kitchen for us is very Important, which is what Airbnb provides us with. I think it's a bit more difficult to get that in hotels. Um, we usually you right. at hotels for like you know when we do our short getaways. In that case, we just go on platform like Booking.com and just book stay for like a week or less. And that way, we're less picky about the type of amenities we will get.
2: So do you? You said you negotiate it. Do you try and just book the month right on Airbnb, or do you actually reach out to the host and say, "Hey, I'm looking to stay a month. Can you offer me a better rate?"
0: Yeah. So usually Airbnb will give you by default a monthly discount. I mean, the host can set up a monthly discount. It's usually anywhere from 20 to 30%. Um, so that, that you will only get that from the get go by just using the platform. But then, um, we look at places and uh, we usually send an introduction email to the host, uh, introducing ourselves, uh, kind of our lifestyle and what we're looking from there. And then we always add about like, Hey, we're going to be spending maybe between four weeks, usually sometimes up to six weeks. Uh, this is how much you are currently offer. Are you willing to give us an additional discount? And that has been working uh, most of the time. We all, usually, in, in our, instead of, in, in, in order to have a little bit of leverage, we look at some of the, you know, we will compare listings, uh, similar listings, say, hey, we could stay at that other place, they offer us that much, but we like your place more because this and that. Um, so yeah, we try to have a little bit of leverage as we do that. Um, yeah. And more than often, because we also travel, you know, we try to pick place, uh, travel during low season and the space, which are usually not fully booked, uh, more than often they are willing to give us a, an extra discount on top of that.
2: Yeah. So you, and you said, just to get back to the numbers, you guys spend about 30,000 a year doing this, right? Correct. Traveling all over yes. the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you have the two rentals that help cash flow. Otherwise, you live off of just money from the investments, right?
0: Yeah. I think most of our income is coming from the, the portfolio, the stock portfolio. I think that's going to be probably two-thirds of that. And the other third is the uh, real estate property and uh, some interest from the cash portion.
2: So of the 30000 that you spend, what's your biggest expense? Is, I assume housing, but if you're in Southeast Asia, what is it? Is it travel between countries? Is it, is it yeah. certain tour- tourist activities you want to do that you splurge on? What, what are your yeah. biggest expenses?
0: Mm-hmm. So, so the good thing is that we love numbers. So we do track that pretty closely. So I have, I have, um, I have a breakdown for you guys. So accommodation in our second year of travel was about uh, 12,000. So that's uh, roughly 30%. So that's our biggest expense. And then after that, the next one was our, uh, basically the food and groceries. I think it's about 3,000 in uh, dining out and uh, 3,000 in groceries. So that's about 20%. And then after that, we've got the international healthcare, which is about 3,000 for us, um, which cover us, like it's kind of, you know, world worldwide expat insurance. Um, with, um, we have coverage because traveling the world, actually, you realize that most countries you can pay out of pocket, the costs are much, much lower than the U S we just have that policy in case, you know, something critical happens and we need to be in hospital for many weeks. And, uh, or we've got some, yeah, we have like for critical, I think critical coverage. So that would be the next things. And then the last things after that will be, uh, international transportation, uh, when we only spend 2000 because we are leveraging uh, travel rewards and travel hacking to pay for most of that. Um, so that will be cost covering pretty much, that will be, I'm trying to do the, the sum, Twenty three, twenty four thousand 24000 will be all of that, I think.
2: So
1: Mr. Nomad, where do you go from here? Are there certain countries that you're still wanting to go to? And, and what do you do you know, on the day-to-day now that you're kind of in this slow travel mode?
0: Yeah. So, um, so if you take a step back, um, so one of our dream was to travel the world. And that's what I was mentioning as we were discussing our relationship, like what we want to do together, you know, um, but then the other things we also wanted to do was to spend more time with our family, uh, and our friends, uh, for me moving to, you know, from France. To the US, like, which is like 6,000 miles away. I haven't been able to see my family since 2008, more than maybe once every year and a half due to much more limited vacations, um, as well as the distance. So I think those were two of the main focus we wanted was that life, that new life design we decided to, to go with. So yeah, so travel is a big portion. We are, we now we are booking. Between two to four months each year to spend time with our respective family, uh, two months at a time, which, uh, something we're able to do, uh, on our first year, uh, our second year, that has been interrupted due to COVID. Um, and I, we, we can dig into the, how COVID has been affecting our life, um, after if you guys want. But, um, in a regular situation, our plan was to travel the world slowly, uh, spend those two to four months with our family and friends when we go back home. And then, um, use the free times that we have from not having to go to an office to work on ourselves and our passions, which, uh, for me has been right now building our blog to share our journey in regards to the fact that, uh, the cost of traveling the world is much cheaper than the cost of staying home, as well as focusing on, uh, life design, life, life or lifestyle design when, um, really like sharing to people, uh, those kind of, uh, Tips and what we've done to really focus on designing a life, a life you love. So I think that's where we are. That's what that's kind of our short to medium term goals with um, our travel. Uh, I think what we want to do as well, and that's why we have put some cash on the side, is to find a home base uh, for us. Uh, and we are giving ourselves, as we started that journey, about five years to slow travel, check a bunch of countries or continents we like, and just try to find that home base that we can have with a nice community. Uh, that we can have when we probably s- we spend uh, four to six months a year and the other half of the time will still be about traveling um, around the world since we we both love traveling and all of the benefits you get with getting those new experience and all of that
1: yeah that's pretty interesting so are there any new hobbies or, or things that you've been able to do now that you are you know quote-unquote retired and, and traveling the world that you didn't when you were working
0: New hobbies, I guess, um, here in Taiwan, uh, the first things that come to mind, we've been into um, much more river tracing because the summer are really, really hot. And uh, we both love the outdoor in general and hiking, but um, it's really hard to hike. So we've been into this. Um, I think, if anything, we've been expanding much more about the things we love doing, which for us, is, it's pretty simple and it's pretty uh, inexpensive. It's like being outside in nature. Going on hikes, going on, you know, bike, going biking and exploring nice areas, as well as well as meeting like-minded people um, as we travel, um, you know, through the expat committee we meet, so spending times meeting those people and as well as the locals, uh, but it's a bit more difficult sometimes because of the language barrier, uh, trying to meet the locals, trying to see how they live and learn about each of those countries. Every time we go, it's, uh, yeah, understanding um, people, you know, the cultural aspect, uh, as well as the food um, uh, and all of that together, uh, that's been very, very fulfilling by itself. Just you discover new things and you have really good experience. We've made so many memories about the past two years that it felt that we've been traveling already for 10 years. It's it's a very interesting. Uh,
1: Do you ever feel like you, that you're getting tired of it or, or that you want to have a little bit of a change or a little bit more stability in one place versus another?
0: I think the slow travel is helping with the fact that uh, we travel slowly. So it's not like we don't have the burnout that people might have, you know, that we are used to have when you used to travel like two weeks per year and trying to know, like, you know, pack everything and just go to a place, fly and then pack uh, and being in a rush every day. So we don't get too much of that burnout. I think having a base, as I mentioned, is something um, we will want to have just, just for the community. I think finding a community when you travel can be tricky. Um So we are thinking by having a base, uh might be easier to have that local community we can connect with. But otherwise, no, I think, uh, uh, as I was saying earlier, every time you move, you have new experience, you meet new people. And uh, that by itself is really exciting. Uh, sometimes we feel a bit sad that, oh, we have to live now, there is a place we like. Uh, we were in a Ubud before the pandemic, we were in Indonesia in Ubud and in that nice villa and... We met a lot of nice, very welcoming people. It's like, oh, we were actually going to extend from one month to two months. We were actually planning a trip to Japan with my parents. Uh, as I said, we like to spend time with family, so we wanted to take them in Japan for a month. Uh, that got canceled because they were, uh, you know, high risk of flying at the time. It was rough before the pandemic. Uh, so we are really happy to extend our stay in Bali. So, yeah, I think the slow travel make it really, really um, sustainable.
2: Do you ever get bored? Like, um, what, what's a normal day for you?
0: Yes, yeah, so I think we will split, I, I'll talk for myself, I split my day 50-50, so with the week 50-50 between everything I was mentioning, like the exploration, the things we like about travels, so we will explore, we will, uh, you know, go out, try new foods, um, uh, meet with expats or um, or locals if we have the ability to to uh, meet some of them, and then the other half will be focusing on passion projects. So for me right now, spend a lot of time on the blog, um, because I'm an engineer by trade, I've been building a travel tools to initially help us keeping uh, on top of our budget and our numbers. Um I'm just basically developed that tools for, um, to move away from spreadsheet and to give it for free for anyone that is interested. So that has been keeping me busy um since we started. And then also spending more time talking with family uh, remotely and all of that. So, yeah, no, I have, uh, you know, even though I disconnected from an office job, I still have a personal to-do list, which is um, I cannot get to. There is still a lot of things to do. So yeah, I'm not really bored. Or always plenty You're of things You're staying to busy,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think if anything, it's much more trying to be able to let things go and not have, you know, like with the blog, we know we publish every week and it's like sometimes it feel a little bit like work because I want to stick to a schedule. So it's much more like allowing myself to say, hey, maybe sometimes it's okay if I don't publish that week just, take it um you know because that is uh, we do the blog because we are excited to share our stories we don't do the blog because we need to generate income from the blog so it's much more like i think and that's also why i've been much more into uh mindfulness and you know practicing meditation daily and all of those uh, developing those routines and habits to be much more grateful about the life we were able to design for ourselves and and all of the freedom and flexibility we have now
2: yeah, I wanna I wanna hit on that just one sec. I just wanna go back to your insurance. So you pay was it three thousand a year for health insurance? You mentioned
0: that's correct, and that's for the two of us. Who do you do that through? So that was that's uh, so that is with ing global.
2: And do you do you have a large deductible or what? How does it work yes. if something uh,
0: happens? Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, like I said, it's for catastrophic coverage. So the deductible is probably five thousand, ten thousand for the two of us. So it's that's not like, too bad actually. Uh, yeah,
2: actually. Too, I mean, it's, it's a high deductible, but not, not crazy, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not, uh it's their goal, the plan, they have different tiers. We could have go got a bit cheaper, but yeah, we wanted the deductible to be, you know, as soon as we know that we need to go to an hospital, much likely it's going to eat the deductible and then they will cover us. So I think that's how we came up with that 10,000.
2: Okay, gotcha. So shifting gears here, did your investments drop much during COVID? I, I mean, they obviously did. How much?
0: Yes, yeah, so I think we lost about one hundred, one hundred twenty thousand or something over the at the bottom of the at the bottom of the market drop. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah now it's obviously back up and more, right? We're, but did that make you nervous?
0: I think I was okay. My Mrs. Nomad was a bit nervous, and that's why we were discussing, you know, at the when the market was dropping, and you know, in the middle of the pandemic, and you know, you don't really know everything has been, you know. Everything fall apart in the sense that, yeah, I mean, with COVID, like everything changed. So she was more worried about, you know, our investments uh, not being able to support us and all of that. So we have a conversation and we decide, oh, you know, we can always try to uh, drop our spending from 40000 to twenty thousand because we knew that uh, we had a, we came up with a few plans to get to that number. Since then things are recovered and now we've been also in um, in Taiwan, which actually Taiwan cost of living wise uh, is uh, right on that twenty thousand mark. So yes, I think that's the only thing we we were having a conversation. We didn't panic sell or do did anything. Uh, if anything, the only thing that I think she did was instead of reinvesting some of the dividends. Uh, that was coming through investment accounts, we decided to keep that as cash. So then we we had more cash. But um, as I said, our cash portion is it's pretty large uh, because we're thinking about mm-hmm. getting that property at some point somewhere. And uh, the fact that in you know, 2008, we knew that the cash was coming, but we probably have 10 plus years in cash right now. So that's why I was not really worried about like, you know, we can use that cash. And knowing that over time, the market will always goes up. We, yeah, I was not as worried. Um, and, uh, and this year has been very, uh, surprising because I was not expecting the market to recover so quickly as well. So, um, yeah, it's really hard to read the market right now. If it's really reflecting reality or if it's going to, um, you know, drop again, I think with our cash reserves, we feel comfortable to sustain, you know, if you would have to drop again to the level it was at the bottom, we were still okay. And once a uh, travel can resume, we can tap into geo arbitrage. So, that's, that's the ability to go anywhere in the world in a country which has a low cost of living. I think the cheapest places we've been were places like Thailand when we could spend, uh, between sixteen sixteen thousand a year for the two of us. Uh, if we will, you know, if we will forecast our monthly spending over a 12 month period of time, um, as well as uh, the beach side of Thailand. So Koh Lanta, which was a nice beach area when we also spent pretty much the same budget. So, we can still have a nice lifestyle uh, and still live on half of what we're spending right now if we want, thanks to geo arbitrage. Wow! And,
2: and and just jumping back to your real estate, how much in rental income do you net after mortgage payments or any other expenses? How much how much does that provide you monthly?
0: Yeah. So uh, last year was eight thousand uh, a year. So uh, okay, eight thousand a
2: year. So that covers so, eight of your thirty-ish.
0: Yeah, uh, I think about roughly a, the breakdown. So. It's like yeah. So it's like 20K in the portfolio, 8K in the investment property, and 2K in the cash return, which right now it's not really good, as you know. Uh, but that's roughly the breakdown that gives us to 30,000. Okay.
2: So just the final question here, Nomad, you, you talked a lot about the during our, our interview here about designing a life you love, right? And, and stop trying to appease other people or, or you know, you, spending, doing what you want to do. Talk to us a little bit about that. How did you discover, you know, what that was for you? Why are you so passionate about it? And whether it's travel for somebody or maybe it's not travel for somebody, what does it mean to design a life for yourself, the life that you want to live?
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's something we thought a lot about. um, And I think it initially started when we had that conversation, when we were hiking together and we were trying to say, hey. What do we want to do? What we're really passionate about in our life? And the first things that come to mind for us was, yeah, travel. It's, it was never about, uh, work. Um, so we started f- figuring out, oh, those are the things that really love. But then quickly after that, there was the first thing Mrs. Nomad starting thinking was like, well, you know, we still need to have to go to work. We still need to, you know, save a lot of money to do that. So. As part of the life design, the first thing we did was that we let go of constraints and limitations, such as, you know, uh, that we don't have to work. I mean, like, you don't need to have to work if you want to, to design your life. Uh, there is way that you can do differently. And you no, know, you, you, you can, you, sorry, you don't have to go to a nine to five office job, for instance, um, if, if you want to, or, um, uh, you don't need to only have like two weeks of time off. You can probably, design the life when you have more uh more freedom as well so trying to let go of those constraints as as limitation where something that we have to go through so that way we can really design our ideal life uh, and then the next steps that we're trying we did was like trying to identify what's truly what's truly our desire versus someone else's desires you know in our society there is a lot of things to do for us about like oh We need to buy a home and uh, we need to uh, own a car and, you know, all of that type of things. Uh, Or we need to uh, have a successful career. Those were not our desires. Those were something that in our head was like, oh, society told us this is what we have to do. Uh, We know you need to buy the the next iPhone every year and all of those things. So uh, we totally removed that from us. And I think uh, that's why we ended up about like our uh, love for exploring um, and being immersed in always new environments and our uh, desire as well to spend with time and family and then uh, the next thing that we've done is try- trying to come up with a, a vision like how we want to project ourselves you know ten years from now uh, and and that's where I think we started plugging uh, so basically we build a 10, 5, and one year a ten year a ten year vision with like a five years mark check in and then we plug yearly goals to that. Uh, and that's where that, uh, you know, I mentioned we wanted to have an on-base. That's where our on-base come into the mix. We did not have that plan in the first year of travel because we just went with the flow. But as we starting, uh, our second year, we started building that vision uh, now that we knew more about the, tr- the the nomadic lifestyle. So we build that. And then if you want to achieve that life that you love, it's really being able to focus and tev- take massive action. It's basically like, you know, as we have your goals, like, Take action and do those things that you've done. So you know, for us, before moving to that uh, nomadic lifestyle, it was was, okay making sure that our investment was safe enough. So we have to, you know, we went. I didn't want to those details, but uh, we accidentally starting saving, investing a lot into individual stocks through the company we work with because they were providing us plans to own some of their action. uh, Sorry, some of their stocks um at a very affordable price. So we built a lot of our investment this way, but it was uh a few stocks and mostly tech in uh into tech sectors. So we're starting to take action to diversify from that to our current allocation, which is much more uh low cost index. Uh and then it's like, yeah, we have to downside our place, we have to get rid of most of our belongings that we have been accumulating over time. So taking all of those action that will get you to that uh ideal life. And it's and something we keep iterating on every year.
2: Wow, awesome. So thanks so much, Mr. Nomad. Really appreciate you coming on. Really good advice there at the end. Um I, I think it's important, right? Design what you want. I think all of our millionaires have done that in a sense, right? They've thought about what they want. They've thought about their goals. They've thought about how to get there. And, and it's decided what's important to them. So really appreciate you coming on tonight. Thanks again. Net worth of 1.2, living on about $30,000 traveling the world. So thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah,
1: thanks again for having me. Thanks, Mr. Nomad.